Two things. This is tonight's target for the catapult pumpkin launch. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be fantastic. And just in case it survives, I'm just wondering, will this work? Like on a weekly basis. Like if you hear my voice, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12 for today's... Does that work okay? Because that, that way I could just phone it in and it'd be fantastic. Well... I'm waiting for hologram technology. When holograms work, maybe the last of me. All you 7th through 12th graders, visualize smashing that with a big pumpkin. That'll be great fun. Now listen, if you're in middle school or high school, some of your, some of your towns, I know tonight is a trick-or-treat night, and you think, well, I can't come to Fall Fest because I'm going trick-or-treating. Listen, you big baby, we don't do trick-or-treating anymore if you're junior and senior high school. You come to the Fall Fest, we're going to have pumpkin tag, we're going to turn people into pumpkins, and we're going to launch pumpkins with a catapult. Who doesn't want to do that? So show up. It'd be great. Well, we've been talking about dangerous prayers, and I hope that you've been praying some. The first week we said, make me bold. That's a dangerous prayer. Then we said, speak to me, your servant is listening. That's a dangerous prayer. And last week was an especially dangerous prayer, break my heart, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. And today I want to talk about increasing our faith, this dangerous prayer, increase my faith in prayer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read that chapter to us. This is a very powerful story of the New Testament church and the way that God supernaturally extricated Peter from prison. And I hope it's meaningful to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we have a custom of standing to hear God's word, recognizing its authority. Thanks for doing that as you're able. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Tradition suggests that Herod killed James himself. He took a sword and ran him through, if you can imagine. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. You can see there are 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, intended to kill him after the Passover weekend. So Peter was kept in prison But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, all of you aspiring preachers, chapter 12, verse 5, is a perfect four-point sermon. Just note it. The church praying to God for Peter. The church praying to God for Peter. Easy four points. If you can't see those points there, if you can't make that preach, then... Sell insurance or something like that. (laughs) There's a beautiful sermon there. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up. 
Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. They went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the other brothers and sisters, about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. That's an understatement. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and then ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together, sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food. And on the appointed day, Herod... Wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God and a thousand other reasons, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. By the way, you don't want that. But the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. God inspires through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I saw this man from the relative safety of a group of friends that I was traveling with. You see this kind of sight on virtually every street in the city now called Mumbai, originally Bombay, India. Somehow this guy seemed more horrible to me than average. He was one of those wandering madmen, disconnected from reality, stumbling aimlessly, desperately demonized, completely out of his own mind, out of control. But as we walked closer to him, he now was within arm's reach. We were walking in opposite directions, and there he was. There was something about the way our eyes met, the way he locked his eyes on mine, an image which I can see very clearly as I imagine it. It was terrifying to look at. I looked into the soul of bondage. It was a horrifying moment when I looked into the eyes of another human being, locked up, bound, you understand, imprisoned, chained, held by forces which could not be seen but very real, and we're obviously spiritual in nature. Now, after 
Hearing this description of this man, let me describe for you the weakness of my own faith. You'll have to forgive me. The next thought, as I passed that man, we locked eyes and he stumbled on past me. The next thought in my head was, that man will die that way. That man will die that way. See, when the horrible bondage and chains that the world can lay on other human beings and on us, and those doors shut, Satan does not give up his prisoners easily. It's not as if uh, we were placed into prison, into bondage, with some kind of physical means of extricating ourselves from the prison. No, no. The only way to get out once that kind of prison is inhabited is from the outside. Got to have help from somewhere else. Peter's imprisonment in our text today in Acts 12 does not speak of his personal bondage or other issues. He's a saint of God, an apostle, a father of the church, of course. But it does speak to us about the importance of intercessory prayer and the work of the church regarding the bondage of anyone who needs to be liberated. There should be continents that we're praying for. There should be countries that we pray for. There should be people groups that we should be praying for. Every Christian should have a world map somewhere that they easily access and that there is time for prayer. We should be praying. This whole business with Islam, which has become more poignant in the last 20 years or so in our world, is not merely cultural. You understand. It's not just religious. It's not just geopolitical. It is not just military and the implications there. It is a spiritual issue. There is loose in our world a spirit of murder. There's a deadening spirit that has gripped the souls of millions of people. And the devil's posted guards over millions of hearts and souls, clamp them in chains, and the prison doors are shut. Let me tell you what else the devil does. He sneers at an impotent westernized church because of our prayerlessness. And he mocks us as he goes. I have three very simple points today. The first is this. You can find it on the app. God calls us to prayer. God calls us to prayer. There are over 700 prayers in the Bible. I actually bought a book many years ago called All the Prayers of the Bible. And it was a man who unpacked every prayer of the Bible and made commentary on it. It's a pretty substantial book. I have it in my library, All the Prayers of the Bible. There's about 738 prayers found in the Bible. We know that in Jesus' life, for example, that he went from place of prayer to place of prayer to place of prayer to place of prayer. And it's in between these moments of prayer that he's doing his public ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing. Prayer was a central focus of the life of Jesus. He's constantly in prayer. And as I say, in between calling his disciples and in between doing his work. We also learn that the first century church was a praying church. We find many examples and models of the efficacy and the, and the, the, the power of the prayers of those in the first century church. We look at the church here in Acts 12. Jesus has been crucified. He's raised from the dead. Uh, the day of Pentecost has occurred. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit has, has taken place. 
As you remember, there were 3,000 souls who made a decision to follow Jesus on the day of Pentecost, resulting from Peter's preaching. And subsequent to that, thousands of others have come into the faith within weeks. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, we know that the church is meeting every Sabbath on the Sabbat in one of the porticos of Solomon's temple with about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. There's a mega church that has now developed in Jerusalem and it's caused great consternation by both the civil and also the religious authorities. Rome hates it and the Sanhedrin, the Jews hate it. And so they conspire against these early disciples and these leaders. We know there's an increasing pressure and that King Herod, who's been appointed by Rome, Herod presented himself as a Jew, but he really wasn't Jewish. Uh, he had been brought up in Rome and he was a friend of the Caesars. So he pretended to be Jewish and the Jews hated him for it. He wanted to do something to ingratiate himself with the Jews. So he had James arrested and killed. And when he, when he saw that that got everyone's approval, he thought, well, I'm going to do that again because that's politically expedient. And so he has Peter arrested and he's going to execute him right after the Passover weekend. Peter, as we find in our text today, is thrown into prison with four sets of four guards. So there are 16 total guards assigned to keep this boy in the prison. Peter is chained. He's shackled both hands and feet. So he's in the inner prison with the doors locked there, 16 guards in his immediate presence. Then there's an outer prison with other guards and locked doors. And then finally, a main gate out at the front where there are two more prisoners and in the middle of the night, an angel strikes Peter. He, he struck him, woke him up, he said, get up, put on your sandals and your cloak. Let's get out of here. And he stands up and his chains fall off. Love that. The guards, the soldiers have all been anesthetized and they're asleep. And all the way to the, the outer gate, the main gate, and the Bible says that that gate opens by itself. All of Peter's going, this is quite a dream I'm having. This is pretty cool. This is a good time. And then when the gate opens by itself, he goes, now I know I'm dreaming. I mean, this, I'm getting the express treatment out of here. This is remarkable. And he walks a couple of blocks, and then the angel departs him. And he's out, and he's awake, and he goes, this must be real. So he heads straight to the prayer meeting, Mary's house, where he knocks on the door. God calls us to prayer. You may not know that there are more Christian martyrs in the year 2020 than in any year in recorded history, including the first century. Our brethren are dying in Ethiopia, Darfur, the Sudan, ancient Persia, Syria, Iran, of course, Afghanistan now. Our brethren are being persecuted in China, in North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Central Asia. But the Western church, by and large, is not meeting at Mary's house, engaging in fasting and prayer. We're not on our faces. We do not believe for those in, those in bondage to be broken, that those chains might fall off. Not only that, but in the Western cultures, and especially in the United States right now, we know that our cities, our major cities are in bondage. We've had a movement in the last year and a half or so in this culture 
that has blamed everything except the real issues. And so now we have places in the inner city, entire box of, of population in the inner cities, virtually every major city in the United States, where the United States Postal Service will not deliver the mail. Can't go in there. Too dangerous. Too risky. Of course, we've blamed it on the police, which is obscene. It, you understand that's insane. That's crazy. Now, do we need to improve all aspects of our culture? Yes, of course. Let's work for improvement. But let's just not, <laughs> let me just tell you the number one rule of a riot. Here's the number one rule of a riot. Stop it. Because nothing good ever comes of lawlessness and disorder and violence, destruction. Nothing good comes from that, ever. I, I want to contend, I want to argue today that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the greatest, to probably top three greatest Americans who've ever lived. If Dr. King were, were allowed to give another 30-minute speech on the mall of the, uh, in Washington, D.C. today, he would clear up all this stuff. You do understand that, that the reason you don't hear Dr. King quoted anymore is because it doesn't fit the insane, insane narrative that's going around. Dr. King reminded us that it's not about critical race, not the color of your skin, but the content of your soul, character, who you are. God bless him. God bless him. God bless him forever. We've lost our minds, of course, literally. It's insane. And God asks, where is the praying church? Where is the praying church? Where is the church that will shut themselves into Mary's house, catch hold of the altar of God, and believe for the deliverance of captives, the breaking of bondages, that prison doors might be thrown open, and for the church in all of its power to be released into the streets? The world and a tragic portion of the church underestimate the power of intercessory prayer. Now, unfortunately, that's where an amen would go. That's true. Many have a hard time believing that the direction of heaven can be motivated or energized by the prayers of mere mortals. I mean, after all, this is almighty God. And what does my prayers have to do with what he wants to do in the world? And I, I want to confess to you that I don't understand how prayer works. I don't understand it. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I understand perfectly why God answers prayers and why it works. I don't know. I've already confessed to you that prayer for me is difficult. The first, the first Sunday of this series, I asked how many of you believe in the power of prayer? Virtually everyone raised their hand. How many of you are actually praying in such a way that would indicate you believe in the power of prayer? And no one raised their hand. So we all have some issues with this whole question. And it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to get your mind around it. Why would an almighty God, the pre-existent co-eternal word of God, who, who spoke and the whole universe comes into being and by whom it all subsists and to whom it will all return, how would a being like that be subject to something that I might pray? And so it's hard to understand. So I'm not going to tell you I understand why prayer works, but I am going to stand here and tell you that I believe that prayer works. I believe in it. I believe prayer works. God calls us to prayer. God was in conversation with Abraham, 
And he told Abraham, he said, you know, those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to wipe them out. And that's, that, that's a level of sinfulness can't tolerate anymore. I'm wiping them out. Abraham said, hold it just a second. If I could find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you withhold your judgment? And God said, hmm, yes. Yes, I would. And Abraham went, oh, well. And Abraham's going, I can't find 50. He said, how, how about if there are 40? You can find this story in Genesis chapter 18. And God said, yeah, if there were 40, I would withhold my judgment. And so what is happening in this interchange? God is saying to Abraham, listen, listen, to Abe, uh, come on, let's, let's wrestle with this. Let's, 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 let's talk about this. Let's, let's engage in this conversation. God invites it. He encourages it. He calls us to prayer. You, you may remember a story in Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this quirky little story about a, an unrighteous judge who has taken a bribe which stole, the, uh, unlawfully stole a property from an old woman. And the old woman wasn't going to have it. So every day in court, the judge arrives and he comes into the courtroom and the woman stands up and says, your honor, you took a bribe. You've cheated me. I want my land back. I want justice. And the judge says to the bailiff, toss that old woman out of here. She's annoying. And out she goes. But the next day, as soon as the judge walks into to, into the courtroom, there she is. And he, she says to him, you crook, you dog, you took a bribe and cheated me out of my property and I will be in this courtroom every day until I get justice. He says to the bailiff, I told you, get her out of here. Well, the third day, can, can you see the little railing between where the, the judge sits and the people? Can you see the old woman with a little walking cane walking up there and cracking that railing? Bang, 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 bang. You dog, you crook, you took a bribe, you know it, I know it. Look me in the eyes and tell me you didn't take a bribe. I want justice. Well, finally, the judge, he calls the guy, calls the guy who'd given him the bribe, he calls him into his chambers, he hands him the money back, says, listen, I don't fear God and I don't respect people, but this woman's driving me crazy. Here's your money back. We've got to restore her property to her because I'm, I can't put up with this. So now the question, what is this parable about? Well, it's not about a crooked judge. It's about the unflagging zeal of intercessory prayer. That's what it's about. It's about persistence. It's about importunity in prayer. It's about a, a, about a posture that takes a hold of God in prayer and not letting go until you get the answer. It's about increasing your faith in a great big God who can do anything. And we actually trust him to do those great things. Listen, these, this is the kind of prayers that our great-grandfathers and mothers prayed and our grandparents and our parents before us. And we have to reinstitute and find this kind of praying again. Amen. We have to find that again. Jesus began that parable in Luke 18 with this word. He said, at all times, a man ought to pray and not to lose heart. And then he told the story. A man at all times ought to pray and not to lose heart. In other words, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. You may have heard the expression, man, you don't even have a prayer. That, that'll never happen. That'll never work. You'll never get through that. You'll never get over it. You'll never overcome. You don't have a prayer. You ever heard that 
phrase? Listen, if you've got a prayer, you've got what you need because God can do anything. May he increase our faith. It's a bold kind of praying. Bold kind of praying. This is good preaching. It's good preaching. I still think that would work okay if I just... So God calls us to prayer, and God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. I had some trouble being ordained years ago in our denomination. Yet there's lots of hoops to jump. Let me just say that. It takes years and lots of hoops to get to full ordination. And I got to my last interview, and there was a triad of other pastors on the conference board of ordained ministry and they were and it was like a it was like a theological inquisition now i when i was 24 24 years old i had not developed a lot of sophistication with political nuance let's say it another way i i didn't i didn't have any tact at all. So if someone asked me, you know, I, I just didn't know how to give an answer that was easier to hear in, in a certain setting. You know, some people would call that being astute or diplomatic or socially sensitive or prudent or smart, politically tactful. Jesus might say, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So you can give a harmless as a dove answer and still be wise about it. I didn't get all that. I didn't have those, that nuance. I still am not very good, very good at it. When I was 24, not good at all. And so when I got a straightforward question by the in- Inquisition, I gave a straightforward answer, which scared people, apparently. I threw them off a bit. And so as a result of that, I was harangued. I was chastised. I was criticized. My wife privately was warned, warned about me. Literally, officials in our denomination told my wife, you, you better watch him. He's, he's, not, he's not likely to be a good husband for you. He's not likely to be a good father to your children. You, you should watch him. I was made to feel small. I was cursed at. And I was ultimately delayed. So here's what, here's what the denomination did. They, they put me on hold. You're on probation. We can't ordain you because you're not like everybody else. And we don't like you. We don't like what you believe. We don't like how you comport yourself. And so you're on probation and we'll call you. And in the meantime, we will appoint you to two little churches in the middle of nowhere and make you go away because we know how to treat people like you. We just put, we, we put you in the middle of a cornfield where there are no people that you can harass. <laughs> and we'll call you. As it turns out, it was not only the best possible thing that could have happened to me, it was actually in the center, very center, very, the, the very, mid, very target bullseye of God's best plan for my life. (laughs) You know, 
You'll remember this story. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and fast forward several years. And now Joseph is arguably the most powerful man in the world, prime minister of Egypt at the time. And his needy, starving parent, uh, brother and father stand before him begging for their lives. And they have no idea it's their brother Joseph. And Joseph tells them, hey, I'm Joseph, the guy that you betrayed and, and left me for dead. And then Joseph uses this phrase. He said, you know what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Isn't that interesting? And as it turns out, starting with just a little handful of people out in the middle of a little country church, Cornfield Church, is much easier to manage in an attempt to see renewal than it would be to go into a larger church in a larger city. And by, by the way, God, they didn't know, the denominational officials didn't know, but God knew that there were three little old ladies that had been praying in our church at Union Chapel out in that cornfield. Their names were Apple, Opal, Gladys, and Flosie. And they'd been praying for over 30 years that God would do something. They were praying. They were intercessors with big faith, big, bold faith. Imagine this. Three grandmas meeting for 30 consecutive years on a regular basis, praying that God would do something in their little church, little cornfield church that no one could explain except God has done it. And apparently God answers the prayers of grandmas no matter what they pray or how bold and wild their prayers are. Because no one in their right mind would anticipate what actually happened. I've been all over the country. I've talked to pastor leaders by the hundreds and thousands over the years. I've never heard a story like this. There have been little country churches that grew, grew large, but it was because the suburbs came out and the population center just surrounded them, you know, and they got all these housing divisions going on all around us. No. Union chapels happened as the city has contracted, gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, jobs leaving by the tens of thousands out of our community. Stupid. It's crazy. Could be that God just can't resist the prayers of grandmas, <laughs> no matter what they pray. Romans 8 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. There's a time for nice praying. There's a time for now I lay me down to sleep. There are other times when we need to get in there and contend with God where nice praying won't do. I want to suggest to you that this is a moment in history where nice praying isn't going to work. And so we pray bold prayers like increase my faith so I can trust you for big things. I want to attempt big things for God and I want to expect big things from God. Now, God can't be badgered. He can't be cajoled. He can't be inappropriately pressured. That's not what I'm talking about. I just think God loves the involvement. He thrives on our passionate interaction with him. He just wants us to get in there alone with him and just prattle. What do you think about this, God? What, 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 do, you, what do you think about sending a team to Central Asia? You know, the gospel's not been preached there since the fourth century. Everybody's lost. No one knows Jesus. And the Iron Curtain's fallen down. This is the prayers I prayed in 1991. God said, I like that. Let's do it. And off we went. Now we have, we have house, a house church movement in two major cities in Kazakhstan, Central Asia, and prospects for a third. One in the north, one in the southeast, and one on the west coast of the nation. It just keeps unfolding. I told you, every day we reach more people than we did the day before. 
You don't know what you're part of. Opal, Gladys, and Flossie, they, they laid a foundation of prayer for all of this. God's still answering the prayers. You have no idea what you're involved with. You have no idea. I don't, I don't have an idea. Eternity will reveal things to us that will astonish us. Because of the eternal impact of what God's doing through answered prayer. John Wesley, our father in the Methodist movement, he said this. I'll put it on the screen. He said, there are some things God will not do unless limited human beings pray. That's an interesting insight, isn't it? Queen Esther, you may remember her story. She said to her, to her uncle Mordecai, he said, she said, have the people pray and fast. I'm going to go talk to the king. In Revelation 5.8, it records 24 elders. This is in eternity now. 24 elders, each one had a harp, and they were holding, listen to this, they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Golden bowls full of incense. So what's that symbolic of? The answer is in the verse, the next phrase, which are the prayers of the saints. Apparently, all the prayers that have ever been prayed, God has been storing them all. Amazing. And someday they'll continue to rise before God. Prayers that you pray today will rise before God forever. Something's going on. Something amazing. Something supernatural happens. And I'm just calling on us because we're making plans that I'm going to be talking about in the next few weeks. You don't want to miss the next few weeks. You don't want to miss. You just don't want to miss. I'm going to be talking about things that we are planning to do next year in 2022 that will be historic in terms of the numbers of people and the fruitfulness of the life of our ministry together. We're going to reach more people next year than we've ever reached. But listen, we're going to have to have intercession. This has to be, this has to be on a foundation of prayer. This has to be permeated with prayer. And that's what I'm calling us to. So God, God hears our prayers. He calls us to prayer, and he hears our prayers. Here's the last point. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Acts 12 is one of the greatest stories of answered prayer in all the Bible. It's hilarious. It's, fun, it's fantastic. You, so you, you understand the story now. So Peter's out. He goes and knocks on the door. A little girl, a servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door, and she goes, oh, it's Peter. And she turns and runs back inside. Peter says, no, no, unlock the door. She's gone. She goes in to a bunch of folks who are fasting, who are praying, who are fervent, who are trusting God. They're on fire for Jesus. I mean, they're, they're on fire enough that they're, they're still meeting in public, even though they know they could, they could be killed. They could be martyred for it. These folks are, these folks are fervent. They're, they're praying. And what are they praying? God, God, we, we need Peter. Extricate him from prison. Lord, do whatever it takes. Send an angel, God, and let him out. I mean, they're fasting and praying. Rhoda comes in and says, uh, Peter's at the door. And they go, Peter's not at the door. He's in prison. That's crazy. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that encourages me very much. Because the very prayers that they were praying, God has answered. <laughs> but they don't believe it. Have you ever been surprised by a prayer, an answered prayer? Any, anyone else? Bunch of liars. I can't believe God answered that prayer. 
I don't know about you, I've walked with Jesus for 50 years. What happens more to me in my life than anything else is when I get surprised by answer prayer. Why, why did I get surprised by that? <laughs> again, I've been surprised again. But I'm encouraged by this passage because here are the saints of God in the first century praying that specifically for Peter, people, the church, was praying to God for Peter and God answers the prayer and they don't believe it. Love that. Helps me. Peter says, open the door. She screams, runs back in the house. And, and they say, she comes back again. No, seriously, it's Peter. And this woman, no, maybe it's his angel. I mean, they're just not buying it. Finally, they let Peter in. Sometimes it is in God's great answers to our prayers that we find out how little faith we have. Here's the point I want to make today. I'm trying to encourage your faith in this. But here's the point I want to make right now. Put it on the screen. Don't wait till you feel faith before you pray. Sometimes praying is its own reward. It wins the day. It brings the breakthrough. Now, here's the intellectual challenge. Maybe God was going to send that angel anyway. And the prayer meeting at Mary's house was just coincidental. Maybe. Maybe God was going to do something unusual in a local church in Delaware County, Indiana, anyway, without the persistent, effectual prayers of three grandmothers. Maybe. Nevertheless, I do know the need existed. I do know that prayers were offered, and I do know that God did work. That's what I know. So I don't want to run the risk of missing God the next time by my prayerlessness. You can put bookends now on either end of the story in Acts chapter 12. Now think about this. Peter is in prison, 16 guards, chained hand and foot, three levels into the prison, and, the, and a, an angel strikes him and wakes him up and walks him out of the prison miraculously. Now on the other end of Acts chapter 12, we have King Herod uh, bloviating up in Caesarea and everybody blowing baloney up his behind telling him how great he is. He's a God. And in the meantime, an angel strikes him. And he falls to the ground. He's eaten by worms and dies. Yipes. So on one hand, you got an angel that strikes Peter, wakes him up in the prison, extricates him. And on the other hand, you got an angel striking Herod. I wonder if it's the same angel. wonder if that angel is going to approach you or me someday and touch us. How many of you are going to go, hey, dude, you do understand your power. <laughs> Be careful who you're touching. The story ends when God is moving in the supernatural, all kinds of forces in the domain are moved. Supernatural things happening all over the place. One guy gets liberated from prison. Another guy is judged and killed by a horrible curse. Incredible spiritual dynamics at work in this story. Things are happening. And I just want to remind you that things are still happening in very powerful ways. And we are called to be part of it. There's power in prayer. I've talked about uh, the Muslim world and the unique spiritual intensities around that whole activity. Many of you know that Afghani refugees are in the United States now. Uh, there's about 100,000 total. 
there are 6,500 Afghani refugees living about 10 minutes from where I, our home is in southern Indiana at, at, at Camp Atterbury. I'd, Beth and I drive by Atterbury coming and going all the time. We see Afghani re- refugees on the other side of the fence. I saw a young man sitting up on the hill the other day. He had the Quran in his lap. He was sitting and facing east, and he, it was part of his daily prayer. And there was this guy, and I drove by, and I said, Lord Jesus, touch that man. We know that about 100 of these refugees are going to land in Muncie, Delaware County. There's already three persons, families who are here, Afghani refugees. There are very important, loving, careful, strategic ways that you can respond, we can respond as a Christian community to these refugees. We are going to host a Zoom conference this coming Tuesday morning in two days at 11 a.m., with friends of ours who work with Crescent Project, which is a ministry to Muslims around the world. And they're going to coach us, a cadre of people from Union Chapel, on how we can best reach out to these refugees who will be entering our own community. It's a great opportunity to love people well and offer them Christ over time. And I mean, it's almost surreal because, you know, you can't go to Afghanistan and preach the gospel. Now there's 100,000 Afghanis who are our neighbors in this country. So you, put, you take off the glasses of, of you know, intolerance and bigotry and that sort of thing and fear, confusion, put on the lenses of, hey, what kingdom opportunity is here? And so if you are interested in being part of that conversation on Tuesday, just call the office. We'll send you the, the Zoom link and you can join us. It'll be one hour from 11 to noon on Tuesday. It will be very instructive. Uh, if you sign up, it doesn't mean you have to do anything. Maybe you're just curious. You'd like, you'd just like to have your horizon expanded. That's fine. But sooner or later, I'll be standing here saying, does anyone here want to adopt an Afghani family and become their friends? Because they, they need a lot of help. They need the language. They need to understand how to open a checking account. They need to figure out how to live in America. Completely different culture. Completely unprepared for it. And relationships over the long haul, befriending people and caring for them in tangible, practical ways is an expression of Christ that they'll probably notice. It's a great opportunity. Well, I have to stop. I'm out of time. Here's the, here's the homework. I want you I want you to discover your spiritual gifts. Among those gifts is the gift of intercessory prayer. As I've mentioned, next year is going to be a strategically important year in the life of our church, and I need to know who the intercessors in the church are. Now, there are 20-some spiritual gifts, and here's what I know. The Bible teaches that everyone has been gifted, spiritually gifted, by God. Everyone has at least one gift, one of the spiritual gifts. Most of us have more than one gift. You know, we have primaries and then kind of secondary. We have natural tendencies, abilities, and all that. But I'm talking about spiritual gifts. And there's an easy way to, di- to discover what your gifts are. Now, I could convince you this morning that, that you're a gifted person. You say, okay, I believe I have a spiritual gift. But do you know what they are? I mean, I could ask person A in the room, and you say, oh, yeah, for me, it's hospitality, it's uh, it's administration and it's mercy. That's me. 
That's not me, but it could, might be you. It wasn't me at all. That's why I was struggling, because it wasn't me at all in any of those categories. But there are 20-some of these spiritual gifts. One of them is intercession. Some of you are actually wired up and actually gifted by God to pray. I want to know who you are, because I want to employ your gift of prayer for next year's activities. So a few ways you can get to this survey. It's called the Houts Wagner Modified Spiritual Gift Survey, Spiritual Gifts Assessment. And you can go on the app. There's a link there on the sermon notes today. Just hit that. It takes about 20 minutes. Answer the questions honestly. These, these assessments can be difficult because it will ask you questions. You go, oh, I want to be like that so bad. <laughs> and you, so you lie. <laughs> If you'll be honest, you know, mercy comes up. You, you love people and are just, your heart breaks every time they're suffering. You go, yeah, I'm going to put a 10 on that one. No, because I put, put the two. That's, what, that's, the, that's the truth. So, so answer the questions honestly. It'll take you about 20 minutes, and then you'll be able to see what your top two or three spiritual gifts are. You'll discover your gifts. How great is that? And how easy is it? Take 20 minutes to do it. And so you can link up on the app or online. This is a URL code. You can just take out your phone right now and download it from the URL if you're so inclined. Uh, or there are paper copies, Grandma. There are paper copies <laughs> at the table when you leave today. So just grab one of those. Give you one of those. And then I want, if, if you have intercession in like one of your top three spiritual gifts, I want you to let the office know because we're, we want to compile a list of people with the gift of intercession, and I want to employ you as we ramp up to next year, okay? It's an important deal. So as we conclude this series today, dangerous prayers, God make me bold. Speak to me. Break my heart. Increase my faith in prayer. God's not finished with us. Listen to me. There's all kinds of reasons to back up right now and withhold and to stand down. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone's confused. Everyone's disoriented. Had a school teacher between services almost in tears. You don't know how desperate it is in the schools right now. Kids are confused. They're hurting. They're lost. They're self-destructive. It, it, teachers are confused. Uh, you can understand. Why wouldn't it be? Impossible. Just so hard right now. So your businesses are in question. All, all kinds of instability, anxiety, loose in the world right now. I got it. It's also a great opportunity to offer the life of Jesus Christ to people. He is the way, you know. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the anchor that holds. People need to know the Lord. And I think under these circumstances, people will be receptive to Jesus. I know they will. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to offer people Jesus as meaningfully, carefully, lovingly as we can. And if we'll rally together and everyone does their part, including the intercessors, God will hear our prayers. Opal, Gladys, and Flosie are all praying from heaven now. They haven't stopped. 
they're in Jesus' ear all the time over us. So let's, let's just keep it going, okay? Great, great days ahead for us if we'll hang on to Jesus. All right, let's pause and pray. Lord, thank you for these stories today that remind us of the need to pray and the opportunity that, it, that, that presents for really astonishing things because of our prayers. So Lord, increase our faith today. Help us more and more to realize that when we pray, stuff happens, that your heart is moved, that miracles are released, and that hindering forces can be removed. So God, release and appoint resources for your plans and purposes among us. Inspire your people to pray by faith. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, stand with us, please.